Glory to glory to glory to God. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you for tuning in to another broadcast of Get Your House in Order. I'm your host, Tim Aaron. Uh, hopefully you have been uh, listening to previous shows and uh, checking out the show, checking out the broadcast, uh, finding the, the the discussion to be very beneficial, to be edifying, to be informative. I hope that you are really uh, finding it helpful and useful. Now here at Get Your House in Order uh, Ministry, we like to try to uh, interpret the scripture by scripture and uh, try to keep it 100% Bible. Uh, like I said before, I know a lot of uh, ministries claim that they do that, but they don't. So that's why I like to use the word I try to. I try to do my best keeping it Bible, keeping it pure, keeping it 100% Bible. Leave culture, leave uh, worldly standards, uh, modern day and time opinions out of it. Um, so with that being said, hopefully you have found that to be true. <clears throat> okay. Um, before I go any further, I always like to open up the show with offering an invitation to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and savior. Cause after all, this is what this is all about is Jesus is Lord of all. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and savior? Um, if not, why don't you consider doing so? You know, about 2000 years, Jesus came to the earth with a primary goal in mind. And that was to redeem man back to God through him and only through him. Um, there's only one way to God and that's through Christ Jesus. Uh, Jesus was here about 2000 years ago, doing all sorts of uh, wonderful things, you know, healing the sick, raising the dead delivering people from their sins, setting people free uh, from all types of bondage uh, in a supernatural way. And, uh, and as he was doing that, he made a lot of haters. He made a lot of enemies. And then they conspired to uh, have him arrested and uh, set him up so that he can be imprisoned. And they lied on him. And when he was arrested, uh, the, the officers beat him smacked him, punched him, uh, spit on him. And then they made a crown of thorns, placed a crown of thorns on his head. They nailed him to a tree, to a cross, and they hung him on that cross till he eventually died. And when he died, he accomplished his primary goal. And that was with the shedding of his blood that all sins would be remitted. Uh, John three sixteen for God so loved so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, Romans ten and nine if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in thy heart that God has raised Him from the dead you shall be saved. So. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, why don't you repent of your sins and ask Jesus to come into your heart, to your mind, to your soul and to be Lord of your life. And from that moment forward, he will. And, uh, and then you need to take steps on learning of his ways, learning what Jesus said, how Jesus said to live and pursuing his 
uh, leadership and his commandments. That's what makes you saved. It's just that simple. Um, so hopefully you have made that choice. Hopefully you made the decision to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Okay. All right. Let's get into today's topic. Today's topic, the title is The Final Seven. The Final Seven. Um, people talk about the end times a lot in churches and in even on the TV, you see people mentioning Armageddon or the end of the world or whatever have you. But when I look at the news, you know, I'm I'm disturbed by a lot of the reports that I see a lot of lawlessness. OK, a lot of people not respecting others, not even respecting people's right to live. You know, one person to take another person's life today. At the drop of a dime without giving it a second thought. And it's a shame. And uh, these are the signs that uh, we are at the end here. So the final seven, of course, I'm referring to the final seven years. And I want to I want to talk about that and I want to give my um, explanation on how the final seven years is going to play out. And I'm so I'm going to try to cover a lot here in um, this next uh, 45 minutes here. So hopefully, hopefully I'm able to be clear and um, hopefully I'm able to uh, be uh, accurate with uh, my rendition of the final seven years. So here we go. Let's. Um, <clears throat> Let's start off with, um, I'm going to give um, just a broad um, explanation of how the final seven years is going to play out, and then I'm going to go into detail. But, uh, of course, this ministry, first of all, is a post, uh, a post tribulation rapture ministry. We teach that the rapture takes place after the tribulation, not before. Most ministries that teach on the end times teach that the rapture takes place before the great tribulation. A um, couple of reasons. A lot of people try to make sense of revelations before it was time. I believe revelations was hidden from our understanding. Uh, that's what the angel told Daniel. It's not time for you to understand these things, but wait till wait till it's time. And then, and then the understanding will come. I believe uh, that's what the angel told Daniel in uh, chapter 12. Um, so I just think ministry's got ahead of itself. Revelations is very tricky to understand and it's very uh, it's very complicated. But I believe now that we are approaching the, the, the final seven years. The Holy Spirit is starting to unveil, unravel the mysteries of the book of Revelation so that we can understand it more and more as uh, as each day go by. Um, another thing is people mistake the wrath of God uh, for the great tribulation or the great tribulation for the wrath of God. When there are two totally different events, uh, you see, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul told us that God has not appointed us to his wrath and people 
assumed that he was referring to the tribulation. And that's why they taught a pre-tribulation rapture. Uh, but no, that's not accurate. He, God has not appointed us to his wrath. Uh, but the wrath comes after the tribulation. So they two totally different events. So people need to understand that. Okay. The final seven. Let's start at the beginning. What's going to what's going to set off the final seven years? How are the saints of God going to know that the final seven years has begun? Well, there's not much said about that. You know, Jesus just gives us uh, a lot of uh, examples in Matthew chapter 24. Well, a lot of signs, actually, in Matthew chapter 24, when he talks about earthquakes and divers places and pestilence and and uh, that sort of thing. And and uh, but he never, you know, he never really uh, told us a more specific marker than that in Matthew chapter 24. Now, I, I heard a minister once say that at the beginning of the 21st century, Y2K, from 2000 up until now, earthquakes have increased on average by, woo, by over like 500%. You know, before in, in the 1900s, early 1900s up until 1999, it was averaging like something like 50 earthquakes a year around the world. And now it's like, you know, that has increased uh, by like 500 percent since uh, since 2000 up until now every year. You know, earthquakes have just really increased. So um, that being said, you know, that, that makes me feel like that uh, Jesus is letting us know by that the end time, the final seven years now can be begin at any time. Uh, people say a lot of times the rapture can take place at any time. And that's not accurate. The rapture takes place at the last day, you know? So, and then we're going to get into that as we discuss the final seven years. Okay. So how about Daniel? Daniel is the only spot where we can begin to uh, get some sort of, of concrete clue as to when the final seven years begin. Uh, Daniel chapter nine, verse 27. Uh, now, Daniel refers to a week, not as seven days, but as seven years. Okay. That was one of the mysteries of the book of Daniel that had been discovered a while ago, actually. Uh, that a week in the book of Daniel is not seven days, but seven years. Okay. So let's read Daniel chapter nine, verse 27. It says, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. So for seven years, one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblations to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Okay. So he says, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Now the, he is referring to the antichrist. Okay. 
And it says he shall confirm some sort of covenant covenant with many for one week. Okay. Now it is my understanding that when the antichrist does this, he is not going to be in power at the time. He's probably going to be part of a committee like maybe uh, the United Nations, the European Union. He's going to be probably a, a world leader, part one of the many world leaders, part of one of those organizations, European Union, United Nations, something like that. And um, so he's going to be unknown. He's not going to be known as the Antichrist at that moment. And he's going to be part of a group that confirms a covenant for seven years. Okay. Now, a lot of people believe it's going to have to do with Israel, uh, some kind of peace treaty with Israel. Could be. It could be. But I'm not limiting this scripture to that. It might, it can be. It can be something else. It can be something else, but I believe it. whatever it's going to be, it's going to be huge. It's going to be a huge covenant. You know, uh, right now in America, Donald Trump is having a, um, like a trade war going on with China uh, with tariffs and stuff. Um, Donald Trump is ruffling a lot of people's feathers uh, around the world. Um, you know, it's not business as usual. You know, Donald Trump is really, um, he's doing something different. And, uh, so he's stirring the pot. And, uh, so anything can jump off. And so what I'm looking for is a seven year, uh, treaty, a seven year agreement, anything that's seven years, I'm looking at it. And especially if it's significant, especially if it's big, uh, that could be, what will start the final seven years on earth as we know it. That's right. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifices and oblations to cease. Now in the middle of the seven years. So that means after three and a half years of pass, then the antichrist is going to come to power. And that's when the abomination of desolation takes place. And that's when he's going to declare himself as Lord of the earth. And that's when he's going to start his rule. Okay. But we're talking about the beginning right now. So we're not going to go that far just yet. So look for that in the news. Look for some sort of seven-year agreement, seven-year treaty, seven-year deal. Just look for something seven years. And uh, and then uh, that'll be something worth talking about. Okay. So um, when this takes place, then I believe we're going to be looking at the prophecy of Revelations chapter twelve uh, taking place. Let's go there right quick. Revelations chapter twelve. Revelations chapter 12, it says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. And she being with child crying, cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. Okay. 
And it says, and there appeared another wonder in heaven and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth the man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was called up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they uh, should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. So that's one thousand two hundred and sixty days. That's three and a half years. Okay, so she fled into the wilderness for three and a half years. I believe this is the top half of the final seven year period. This woman, what does this woman represent? Some people say she represents Israel. Some people say she represents the church, but I believe she represents time. She represents time. Uh, Genesis chapter one tells us that the sun, the moon, and the stars would be for signs and for seasons. That's how we measure time. So I believe she is an angel of time and she gives birth to the appointed time of Christ, who, by the way, was caught up to heaven, to God, into his throne. That's why Jesus says, no man knows the day of the hour when his second coming will be. Only God himself knows. Not even he knows, not even the angels know. Only God knows. So, she gives birth to the appointed time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Okay. So I believe that's what's taking place here in the spiritual realm. Uh, this woman is pregnant and she gives birth to the appointed time of Christ. And then she flees to the wilderness and the earth where she has a place prepared for her for 1,203 score days. Okay. Um, now, while she is on the earth, you have the beginning now of the two witnesses. The two witnesses we read about in Revelation chapter 11. And but, but, but simultaneously, what's going on in the spiritual realm, we're going to still have, back to Revelation chapter 12, we're going we're gonna to read what's taking place in the spiritual realm up in the heavens with Satan. Okay, then let's read Revelations chapter 12, verse 6. Let's start at the sixth verse. And we're going to uh we're gonna read verses eight and nine. No, let's start at verse seven. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. Okay, we have verse seven, Revelations twelve and seven. And the dragon fought and his, and his angels and prevailed not. So Satan and his angels did not prevail against Michael and his angels. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the dragon was cast out. Okay. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Okay, so Satan was able to get some angels to rebel against God, one third of them, 
you know, one third. So that's quite a few angels. He was able to get some angels to rebel, rebel against God or join him and fight against Michael. Now, my understanding was that there were like three major angels in heaven. There was Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. Lucifer turned evil. He wanted to uh, be in charge of heaven, and he was able to rally one third of the angels to join his campaign. And uh, he went to war against Michael and lost and was kicked out of heaven. Now, this is also the prophecy that we read in Isaiah. Isaiah prophesies about this. Uh, people think this happened already, but people got to understand Isaiah is a prophet. He talks about things that haven't happened yet that's going to happen in the future. And so Satan hasn't been kicked out yet. This hasn't happened yet. This all takes place during the final seven years, people. And the final seven years have not begun, although it could be very close. But let's see what Isaiah has to say about Satan being kicked out. Um, Isaiah chapter 14, we're going to read 12 through, through I believe it's 15. Um, he says, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground who didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet, Thou shall be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. Okay. So this was a prophecy that Isaiah saw concerning Satan. So this is all taking place, I believe, right around the same time as the woman flees to earth for 1,203 score days. Uh, and now right around the time that the two witnesses are beginning their uh, ministry. Okay. Now the two witnesses, their ministry is going to be very powerful. Now I think one major example we can look at to see, to get an example of what the two witnesses ministry is going to be like, is we can look at Jesus's ministry because Jesus had a 1,200 and three score day ministry as well. Three and a half years. They say by the time Jesus was 30 years old, up until about 33 and a half was when he was crucified. But that was a span of Jesus's ministry, three and a half years. And if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get a, you get a strong dose of what uh, Jesus did and what type of ministry he led. He, it was very powerful. It was a supernatural ministry. It was nothing like the world has seen before. You know, in the Old Testament, different people did miracles. Moses did miracles, parted Red Seas by the power of God. Uh, Moses uh, put up a, a, a stick with a serpent on it and people got healed. And, you know, Moses was able to get some stuff done supernaturally. Uh, different ones was able to get some stuff done supernaturally. David, you know, he fought Goliath with with the slingshot and some stones and killed this, this giant, this 
professional man of war. You know, that was a supernatural victory, you know. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of uh, supernatural stories throughout the Old Testament. Samson, you know, the Bible never did say Samson was a big man. It was it just said he was crazy strong, you know, so he could have been a little five foot seven, uh, 140 pound man doing all of these uh, Credible Hulk type things. And, you know, that was supernatural, you know, so the list goes on and on. Uh, but Jesus, when he came on the scene, it was a heavy dose of supernatural things, you know. And um, so <clears throat> what did Jesus do? We, we can we can parallel the, what the two witnesses are probably going to be like by looking at what Jesus did. You know, uh, Jesus turned the water into wine in John chapter two. Now. That was not even a need. It was just at a party, you know. So here Jesus is doing a miracle at a party. So might we see something like that from the two witnesses, you know, just, you know, in, in good nature, fun, you know, a festival, an event, doing a miracle. Maybe so. Jesus, uh, he healed 10 lepers in Luke chapter 17. You know, he, now that was a need. You know, when people are sick, and they, they need help, man, I bet you they were so happy that they came across Jesus. Um, you know, if you know the story in Luke chapter 17, he healed 10 lepers, but only one came back and said, thank you. You know, so that's what the Bible tells us to count our blessings because it's good. It's good to be thankful. Amen. I don't want to be like those other nine. You know, just having a guy healed, went on about their business, never went back, say thank you. I, I'm going to turn back and I'm going to say thank you, Lord. Uh, how about the woman with the issue of blood? You know, the Bible, I believe, said for 12 long years in Matthew chapter 9, for 12 long years, this woman was trying to get her healing, seeing all her doctors that she could possibly see, spent all her money and was not even made better, not one bit. But then she came across Jesus and by act of faith, she was healed on the spot. I don't know about y'all, but this is giving me goosebumps just talking about it right now. Because can you imagine 12 years of not getting healed, having a problem for 12 years? That's a long time, people. And to come across Jesus and get your healing to get delivered right there on the spot. That's wonderful. Wonderful. Um, how about in that same chapters, the dead girl, you know, the, the, the leader, I believe it was a centurion, centurion soldier, his daughter, and he called Jesus in the first place to come heal his daughter. And on the way to heal her, that's when the woman with the issue of blood interrupted him. And during that time, the girl, the, the, the daughter died, but Jesus said, no worries. He's Lord, even over death. And he went to the house and he raised that dead girl from the dead as well. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that we can expect from the two witnesses when they take their ministry, when they come into power, right? During these final seven years, during the, the first three and a half years of the final seven years, this is what we can expect to see. This is what we can expect to hear about, uh, and back then, they didn't have CNN. They didn't have Fox News. 
So we're going to be able to, and, and they didn't have the internet. So we're going to be able to hear about this stuff around the world, people of God, around the world. We're going to be hearing about this stuff. I, I imagine the two witnesses are going to have to be incognito. They're going to have to have an escape plan. They're going to have to uh, do their miracles and then go out the back door really quick because people are going to be looking for them. People are going to be crowding them, not giving them an opportunity to sleep because they're going to be doing some amazing, some wonderful stuff, just like Jesus. How about Jesus walking on the water in Matthew chapter 14 to get to his disciples? It's right. These two witnesses are going to be doing all sorts of wonderful things. Uh, two fish and five loaves of bread, feeding 5,000 besides women and children. That's what Jesus did in, in, in Matthew chapter 14, Mark chapter 6, Luke chapter 9, John chapter 6. Uh, Jesus was, was amazing, you know, and I often said I would have loved to have been alive during that time to see Jesus for myself. What about you? I know you would have too. I mean, it would have been a sight to see. You know, people like to go to sports events to see great athletes do their thing. I mean, I got to see Michael Jordan when he was at the top of his game. It was it was good. It was really good to see that. But boy, can you imagine seeing Jesus do his thing? Oh, man. Oh, man. That would have been wonderful. Okay, so this is what we can expect from the two witnesses, a a type of ministry um, uh, like that. Um. You know, as a matter of fact, um, John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus says something here. And uh, let me see if I can get to it right quick. John chapter 14, verse 12. And I believe this is a profound statement by Jesus concerning two witnesses. John chapter 14, verse 12. He says, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. I believe he is speaking of the two witnesses here. You know, I believe he is saying the two witnesses are going to do even greater works than what he did. You know, now keep in mind, Jesus didn't have cars back then. They didn't have airplanes back then. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have cable television. Um, They didn't have all of this technology. So I believe he's saying that greater works, they're going to do greater works because they have all of this technology at their fingertips. You know, so they're going to be able to hop on planes and, and get from Los Angeles to Cali- uh, to to New York, you know, in three hours. You know, can you imagine how long that would have took back in Jesus's day by horseback or or however they got around? You know, it would it would have been forever. So that's why they're going to probably be able to do more because they're going to be they're going to be able to move around a whole lot faster. But but John chapter fourteen verse twelve. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me. 
The works that I do shall ye do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. So he could have been just talking about, you know, the disciples back then, you know, Peter, James, and John, and, and the Apostle Paul. But uh, I don't, I, I know they did some miracles, but I don't believe they did as many as Jesus did. So I'm thinking that he is talking about the two witnesses here. Uh, okay. So we are talking about the final seven, the final seven years. And we're talking about the two witnesses now. So they're going to do their thing. And while they are doing their thing, I believe the fifth and sixth trumpet sounds. Okay. The fifth and sixth trumpet sounds as well. Let's take a look at what uh, the fifth and sixth trumpet is going to be about. We can see that in Revelations chapter nine. Now, we have covered that while the two witnesses were doing their thing, we have discovered that the woman in Revelation chapter 12, she goes to the earth for 1,203 score days, it's three and a half years, at a place prepared for her. And while that's happening, Satan is fighting with Michael, the archangel, and the devil loses, and he's kicked out of heaven, okay? Um, you know what? Let me back up, because I missed something here. I missed something here. Uh, let's go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And let's look at verse 1. Because this is another type and shadow of what the two witnesses are going to be doing. We're going to look at verses 1. And then we're going to look at 17 and 18. Okay. So it says, after these things, the Lord appointed another 70 also, another 70 disciples, and sent them two and two before the face into every city in place, whether he himself would come. Okay. So Jesus is sending out um, 35 groups of two witnesses into, into several cities in that region to, to do wonderful things, to, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out devils, to bring deliverance, to set people free from burdens and yokes and all that kind of stuff. 35 groups of two he's sending out to do these things. Now let's go down. This is a type of shadow of the two witnesses as well in Luke chapter 10. Now let's go down to uh, verse 17. Now it says in the seven and the 70 returned again with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And, and Jesus said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Okay. Now verse 18, this is what lets me know what's taking place in the spiritual realm. This is, this is how I am able to conclude that Revelation chapter 12, where Satan is fighting with Michael, the archangel, and he loses and Michael, the archangel, kicks him out of heaven. 
This is what Jesus is referring to here in verse 18. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. So this is a this is information letting us know that while the two witnesses, when they start doing their thing, go around healing the sick and raising the dead and setting people free and all that sort of stuff. That's when the fight between Michael and Satan is going to take place and Michael's going to win and kick Satan out of heaven. And Isaiah chapter 14, uh, verse 12, prophecy is going to come to pass then. Okay, this is how the Bible works. You interpret scripture by scripture. So well, I thought that was pretty good. Pretty good information. That's what I had to back up and read that. So, so Jesus says, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven while these people were doing their two witness ministry. Okay. So Satan is kicked out of heaven uh, during the top part of the final seven years. Okay. Now in Revelation chapter 12, when he's kicked out, uh, there's a woe unto the inhabitants of the earth because Satan is now kicked out of heaven and now he's grounded on the earth and he knows he has but a short time, the Bible puts it. Revelation chapter 12. So now we get to the death of the two witnesses, which is um, Revelation chapter 11. Uh, let's go there. Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11, verses 7 through 12. Let's read that right quick. Revelation chapter 11, verses 7 through 12. Now, here's a sad part because uh, the two witnesses, after doing so much wonderful things uh, in the church, now that's another thing. The two witnesses are going to have two churches because at the top of this chapter, Jesus says, my two witnesses, my two candlesticks. Now, in Revelations, I believe it's chapter one. A candlestick is a church. So these two witnesses are going to lead two churches and there's going to be, you know, several members in these churches. So it's not just going to be limited to two witnesses. These are going to be the two leaders of these two churches. And um, so it's going to be a strong ministry. OK, so now let's look at um, Revelations chapter 11. Um, seven through 12, the death of these two witnesses at the end of three and a half years. It says, and when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit. Now this is referring to Satan himself because he is the only one that will come out of a bottomless pit. Okay. Now this, he hasn't came out of the bottomless pit yet. This is just John's way of identifying which beast he is referring to because he refers to the Antichrist as a beast. He refers to the false, false prophet as a beast, and he refers to Satan as a beast. So this is the way he identifies which beast he is referring to. It's not that it has happened already. It's just his way of identifying. So he says, and when they have finished their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, the two witnesses, and shall overcome them and kill them. Okay, so he's going to kill the two witnesses and, and a lot of their church members. Okay. 
and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Now, I talked about this a few weeks back. This is an analogy of how Jesus was killed amongst his own people, you know, by his own people, the Jews and in Jerusalem. Okay. The two witnesses are going to be killed by, by their own people and, 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 uh, in the place where their own people is headquartered. And I believe that's talking about the Vatican in Rome, Italy, the Vatican. So I believe the two witnesses are going to be, uh, at the Vatican when they are killed by Satan himself. Okay. Um, so if you want to want to get more explanation on why I say that, you can uh, uh, pull up uh, my blog on this uh, website and you, you, you can go back a couple of weeks and you could probably catch it. I can't think of the title of that particular one right now. But anyway, let me move on. Uh, and it says, and they of the people. And kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three and a half days and shall not suffer their bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell on the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. You know, these two witnesses, they're going to do so many great things in the spirit and supernaturally and supernatural power. Um, they're going to make a lot of enemies because there's a lot of greedy people out here who love making money the wrong way in selfish ways. And just like what Jesus did, like for instance, when Jesus cast the devils out of that man at the tomb of the Gadarenes, the Bible says those spirits asked Jesus, Jesus, if they could enter into the swine that were nearby and Jesus permitted them and they entered into the pigs and the pigs ran violently down. Uh, down uh, this hill and drowned themselves into this lake, and the uh, and the locals who owned the pigs were mad. They didn't they didn't like Jesus being there and asked Jesus to leave. You know, so they didn't care about that man being healed. They didn't care that Jesus just did this amazing miracle. All they cared was that their money was gone. And that's what happens a lot of times when you mess with people's money. You make enemies, and that's what's going to happen with the two witnesses. So these people, some people, are going to be happy that the two witnesses are now dead. Okay. And, um, so they're not going to suffer their bodies to be buried. And, um, in verse 11, uh, revelations chapter 11, verse 11, it says, and after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God enter into them. And they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them. which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. Okay. So that's the end of the two witnesses. They were killed by Satan. They lied dead in the street and then they were resurrected on their feet. And then God called them on up to heaven. Okay. Okay. So at that, that's, that is the, top half of the final seven. And then after that, now the next three and a half years start, which is the abomination of desolation and the antichrist. Um, this is what we read about in Revelation chapter 13. 
You know, it talks about the ascension to power of the Antichrist. You know, how he's going to declare himself Lord, how he's going to gain in power, popularity. He's going to even do miracles, the Bible says. And his false prophet is going to do miracles. And they're going to deceive most of the world. Most of the world is going to believe that they are who they say they are, the Lord, right, God. And then, of course, you know, they're going to require that people take the mark of the beast and worship and become loyal to them, which is spiritual adultery for true believers. So we true believers will not be allowed to take his mark. And as a result, we are going to be outcast and we're probably going to even be hunted to be arrested and to be cast into prison and to be beat and even killed. So that's how that's going to play out uh, during the final three and a half years. Um, I think a type of shadow of that would, would, would be kind of like how if you read the story of David, first and second Samuel, you know, when David, um, he killed Goliath, he gained popularity. He was anointed man of God, uh, but he made an enemy. He made a huge enemy. King Saul. King Saul did not like David because David was getting popular. And one day they came back from war and uh, the ladies were singing a song. Saul has killed his thousand, but David has killed his 10,000. And you know, the king didn't like that when the ladies are bragging on somebody else and not you, you know, you know, that was a problem. So uh, David quickly became enemy of Saul and he was on the run. He was on the run for a long time from King Saul because King Saul wanted to kill him. And I believe this uh, David's run, him fleeing into the wilderness and camping out is kind of going to be like it is going to be for the saints during this final three and a half year period on the earth. We're not going to be able to take the mark of the beast. So we're going to be outcast and outlawed and we're going to be going to be living basically illegally. That's right, because it's going to be legally required for us to have a mark of the beast. And if you don't, you will eventually get arrested. Now, I believe this is going to take place really later on uh, in this final three and a half years, not at the very beginning, but it's going to it's going to take place. And we're going to have to learn how to get by, you know, during that time period until the Lord delivers us. Uh, uh, Jesus says no flesh would be saved. In Matthew chapter 24, right around the 22nd verse, unless those days be shortened. So the Lord said he's going to shorten those days so that we can make it. And um, and he's also given us tips on how we can make it. He says, make friends of the of the unrighteous mammon. Um, I believe it is in, um, man, where is that? I can't think of that chapter now. But I taught on that a few, a few, a few weeks back where Jesus is letting us know that we can make friends before our, before the final three and a half years start. We can make friends of the wicked people who do take the mark of the beast so that when that time comes, they can go to the grocery store for us and give us something. They might be able to give us a little place to stay from time to time. Uh, let us use their electricity from time to time. You know what I'm saying? But it, it, it's going to be manageable. But just like how David was fleeing and camping out and hiding, I believe that's the type of shadow of what we're going to have to do. So you can you can read David's story in Second Samuel, pretty much. Well, first and Second Samuel is David's story, but the time the the part where he's fleeing that's a uh, that's uh, somewhere near the end of um, first the, the the book of First Samuel, 
or going into Second Samuel. So um, you can check that out. Um, also, you know, for those people who want to teach that we are going to be uh, raptured before this all takes place, give you give you two examples on why that's not true. You know, in the book of Daniel, you had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I believe in Daniel chapter three, it was I believe, where they were not kept from their tribulation, which was the fiery furnace. Um, they were not kept from that. But the Lord went into the fiery furnace with them and preserved them. So that's how that's that's a type of shadow of, of, of the tribulation. You know, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego was God's people going into their tribulation and they went through it. But God kept them. OK, God can keep us, too. And he will. Uh, same thing with Daniel in the lion's den. I believe that's Daniel chapter six. When Daniel went to the lion's den, God did not keep Daniel from going to the lion's den. But Daniel had to go into his tribulation and he went into his tribulation and he came out. So everybody that goes into the great tribulation is not going to die. You know, some of us are going to be preserved and kept and. Um, and we're going to make it all the way to the end. OK, make it all the way to the end. So those are types of shadows of uh, what the great tribulation is going to be like. OK. So, another example of a type of shadow is uh, in Genesis when uh, Joseph was able to interpret the Pharaoh's dream. And Joseph was able to understand that there was going to be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of lack, of famine and drought. Okay. And during the seven years of plenty, he was able to store up for the seven years of famine and drought that were to come. And I believe that's how the church is going to do, you know, during the time of the two witnesses, you know, we're going to store up and create places for us to be able to live outside, you know, without being rained on, without getting cold, without all the bugs and mosquitoes. And we're going to have places like that are probably around the world prepared for us. So that we can get by during the final three and a half years when the Antichrist is in power. So we will have to take the mark of the beast, just like how Joseph did. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. So. Um, and uh, during the time of the abomination and the Antichrist and the Great Tribulation, that's also when we're going to see. Um, the fifth seal. Open the fifth seal. Open. Let's go to um, Revelations chapter six, and let's see what the um, let's see what the fifth seal says. Revelations chapter six. You're about out of time. Boy, the hour goes by pretty fast when you when you got a lot to say. Revelations chapter six, verses nine through eleven. It says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them 
that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, doest thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them, that they should rest yet for a little season until the until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Now, what is this? This is the fifth seal, the fifth seal. Now, I believe what this is here is these are the two witnesses and their two churches that were killed by Satan himself in uh, Revelation chapter 11. OK. And this is a, a, a spiritual scene in heaven. And when he had opened the fifth seal, he saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain. This is the two witnesses in the two churches killed by Satan himself. And they're complaining. They're like, Lord, when are you going to take vengeance on those, uh, on, on Satan and his army of people, you know, who killed us, you know? So this is the scene here of the two witnesses and the two churches that were killed. So you need to understand that, you know, some people teach that the seven seals, the seven trumpets and the seven vials, you know, they all take place during the final seven years. And that's not true. You know, a lot of these a lot of these trumpets and seals have been opened uh, shortly after John received this prophecy. That's right. Uh, so uh, the fifth seal here will be open sometime during the great tribulation up in heaven. And uh, this is where, you know, Jesus just visited, visits with the two witnesses in the two churches who were killed by Satan and letting them know, just rest a little while. You know, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Okay. So that's what's taking place also. Okay. So during, now we get to the end of the final seven years, the end of Antichrist's reign. And right around the very end, maybe the last year, I believe that's when the church is going to be judged. Revelations chapter 14. Let's go there right quick. I'm running out of time. Revelations chapter 14. I believe the church is going to be judged in the final year of the Antichrist and not necessarily by the Antichrist, but I believe it's going to be a natural disaster from God where he's going to um, punish the church for siding with the Antichrist. Like I said, I believe the Vatican, the Catholic Church, uh, I believe the Pope at this time might be that false prophet that works uh, second man under the Antichrist might be the Pope and the, he's going to use the Catholic Church and their wealth and their influence to do the work of the Antichrist. And, um, and that's going to be unfortunate because judgment must first begin at the house of God. Right. So let's see what uh, Revelations chapter 14 says. Let's just go to verse eight. Uh, John is given a step-by-step at the end uh, on on what's going to happen. And verse 8 says, And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, 
because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And I believe that's prophesying about the church uh, during the time of the Antichrist that, that, that commits great fornication by leaving our Lord Jesus Christ and siding with the Antichrist. And then, of course, that's when the second coming after the church is judged. The Bible teaches that the church is uh, that that city is going to be destroyed by fire. So I believe it's going to be a natural disaster and it's going to get everybody's attention. But people ain't going to know the end is coming yet. And then the second coming of Jesus Christ and then his rapture is going to take place. And. um that's when it's going to get scary. When uh, when those clouds part and people see Jesus appear and the sign of the Son of Man uh, is revealed, as, as mentioned in Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 through 31, I believe Jesus is going to appear and then just going to sit there for a while while people freak out. People are going to think we are under alien invasion. They're not going to know what they're seeing. And I believe the church is going to, people that are saved is going to see it too, but they're going to know. And then the rapture is going to take place in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to disappear off the face of the earth and the wicked people ain't going to really even know it because they're going to be looking up, wondering what in the world are they seeing in the heavens? They're going to see Jesus on the clouds, on the horse with his host of angels, army angels. And they're going to wonder what is going on. People are going to be freaking out, panicking. And uh, now Paul teaches the dead in Christ is going to rise first. And we which are alive and remain will be called up. That's going to be the rapture. Rapture going to take place. Now, people don't talk about this a lot. But if I got time, I'm going to go there right quick. I got about three minutes and I'm going to end on this note. Revelations chapter one. Revelations chapter one. I believe it's verse seven. Let's go there. He says, and behold, he cometh on, on clouds and every eye shall see him and they also which pierced him and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. So what that's telling me, we talk about the dead in Christ rising, but there's going to be a dead not in Christ that's going to rise during this time too. I believe since the time of Adam up until this last day, this final day of the final seven years, the, the dead not in Christ are going to now raise and the people who even crucified Jesus are going to see him on this horse in the clouds with his army of angels. So we are talking about a multitude of people. And this is what it's going to look like on this final few days of the final seven years. I'm going to jump back into this a little bit in more detail because I'm about out of time. Thank you for tuning in to this broadcast. Come on every Saturday at 5 p.m. Central Time. Tell family and friends about the show if you enjoy the teaching. Um, but with that being said, you can catch me at thiefinthenightministries.com. You can post a comment and question, and I'd love to hear from you. But my brothers and sisters in the Lord, 
above all things, I wish that you prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prosper. God bless. Take care. Peace.